right, let's lift up our praise to the one who deserves it all, our God, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read from the scripture for just a second. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. It says this. I think it can relate to just about all of us. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then later on in the passage, it says this. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that we can leave this place with the confidence knowing that you love us and that you care for us. Please be with us this morning, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You all can have a seat. Amen. Amen. Man, there is something about worship. There's something about coming back here every week and singing these words to each other that resets us, that reminds us after being in the world during the week, after being away from sometimes each other, we come back and we sing these, these songs together and they, they reset us. They remind us of, of how God views us. They remind us of, of, of just how much he loves us and what he's done for us. So it's, it's just a great thing to be able to worship. So good morning. Um, I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. This is Good morning. I'm Brett. I almost said this is this is Brett. <laughs> I put you on the spot. It's like, man. I, like I'm, I'm answering That's... the phone. This is this is Brett. Uh, Brett Machat. I am the worship and young adults pastor here. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you here. And there's a QR code here. If you're new here, we'd love to get to know you. Um, you can scan that, and it'll take you to our Connect card, um, so we can get to know you a little more. Um, we got a lot of good things happening today. Uh, some announcements we want to give first, so I'll let you start. Yes, first announcement. I think it's our street runs for the Hilliard Food Pantry begin next Sunday, February 12th. It's going to be after the service. We're going to give you some bags, go out to the neighborhoods in Hilliard and deliver those bags. And then that next Saturday, uh, we are going to be collecting them and sorting them. Um, and I was able to be a part of that last year. And it was actually a lot of fun. It was really great. Got to see a lot of neighborhoods that I've never been in before. Uh, so Do you have to run? You don't have to run. street runs. Well, we did it together. Yeah. Remember that? We, you were driving around. That's I feel like right. I was running. But we probably, were, I, I probably could have just walked. Maybe we can flip that this the year. The Hilliard Street and walks. Run. You run and I drive? Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Yes, okay. let's do it. Okay. I'm looking All forward right. to that. Um, so, but we need you guys to sign up. It would really help us if you could sign up. So go to milecc.info to find all the details. Sign up for that. Okay. After the service today, it is time for, that's right. If you're smelling food coming in here, it's because it's, it's casseroles this time and I've, they're coming in they've been coming in. So that's right after the service, uh, stick around. Even if you didn't bring anything, if you didn't bring a casserole, Stay. We'd love to. It's a great time for us to get to know each other. Looking forward to it. And then later on this month, the last Sunday on February 26th, we are having our baptisms. And if you know me, you know I love baptisms. Big fan. It is an awesome opportunity for you if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're a believer, to tell everyone about it. Uh, so we are actually having an info meeting today after the service. So right before you head over to first Sunday lunch, come meet with me. I'll be in the living room. It's just that room right over there. 
come meet with me, whether you are interested or if you know someone who might be interested and you just want to hear more details, I can give you some more details on that. So we're having the info meeting today, next week, and then baptisms later in the month. Okay, if you're new around here, we've been on a journey together as a church to get to know our neighbors, all right? And this has been something we've been doing since the fall. And um, we've every once in a while, we fill out these block maps. We'll do another one coming up in March. And this is a chance just to, this is, represents like our house in the middle and then the neighbors that are around us and what it means to get to know those neighbors. So uh, today we thought we'd, um, we'd hear some stories of how things are already happening. So Brett's gonna, gonna find, uh, you're going out, aren't you? You're yeah, going I'm out there. someone at random. I'm kidding, I asked these people beforehand. Sandy, <laughs> is it okay if I come have a seat? Okay, and what's the worst that could happen? I'm bringing the microphone out in front of the speakers. I'm sure Clay is loving this. Um, Sandy, do you have a neighboring story that you would... Well, I've already... Of course you do. I don't know why I'm asking. <laughs> I feel like the curtain has... We're looking behind the curtain. Can you share your story with us? Sure, sure. Yeah, back in the fall when we first did the um, neighboring initiative, our cell group was brainstorming different ways that we could you know, reach out. We got the idea um, that we would do reverse trick-or-treat. So we made these super cute boxes with um, Buckeyes in them, and Mike and I just went to the neighbors, you know, most, most directly next to us, and, you know, knocked on the door and said, we're doing reverse trick-or-treat, here's a treat for you. And, like, every single person, like, kept us at the door 10, 15, 20 minutes. And so it was, it was like, awesome, and now we, you know, see the neighbors, we can, you know, not just, like, do the but we can call them out by name. And it's just really opened up, you know, a different level of, you know, something super simple. And we're allowed to, like, steal that idea, right? And okay, do it in our no, <laughs> Okay, perfect. I'm to think of a different version for Spring. Oh, reverse trick-or-treating? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't not, you know. If you think of something, let me know. Okay. I'll, I'll share it. Okay. Um, who else? Where? Oh, here we go. There's Debbie. I'm coming. This is, this is as fast as I go. All right, Debbie, you've got a story you wanted to share with us? Well, you made me. You <laughs> <laughs> She's not wrong. I <laughs> uh, we just took, am I really loud? Okay. Uh, we had two new neighbors, and like people have been doing for years and years, we took them cookies. And then we took them Christmas cookies so they wouldn't forget about us. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. It's, it's so easy. Yeah, yeah, so was it... And you don't have to bake. You can buy stuff. Was it intimidating, like, at first, and then it was easier? A little bit, because I'm an introvert. <laughs> but I want to brag on someone else. Oh, okay. Was it, was it the person doing the cookies? Yes, she, she won't talk, but I'll talk for her. Hello. She had her map filled out completely. Immediately, she knows her neighborhood. She started the neighborhood watch. She does an annual night out thing for um, the neighborhood and the police, so they can get to know each other. She's amazing. She's my hero. I won't make her talk. Okay. So, if you didn't do that, like the first time you filled out your block map and you were like, "All right, the names of my neighbors," and you didn't. Like me, that was me like at least a year ago. I've gotten a lot better. Um, please help us. <laughs> Those of you who are maybe like Carrie in a way that you are just naturally drawn to those people close to you and maybe you're 
seeing us fill out our block maps and you're like, why am I doing this? I already got this down. Not everybody is like that. We need help. We need strategies to, to talk with our neighbors and all that. So, so please help us. Um, is Joyce Adams, am I just blind? She is. She's behind me. Oh, she's right there. Jeez Louise. All right, Joyce, you've got a story you can share. My husband said he would do this. Oh, you didn't yeah. ask me. I didn't ask you. <laughs> oh. This is such an honest church, isn't it? Yeah. Honestly. Okay, sorry. Um, this was really good for us. We had just, um, well, neighboring has been something that Rich and I have enjoyed doing ever since we bought a house um, a number of years ago. But we just recently moved to Hilliard like a year ago, and it was like, oh, we don't have kids now. How are we going to meet the neighbors? Because kids really open doors. And so um, this really kind of pushed us to, um, even though we had met people on either side of us, it really pushed us to do more in the fall. And so we just invited people over on a Saturday morning. I had um, a hot uh, cider and coffee and donuts and said, come over and hang out. And so people came over and hung out. It's amazing what they'll do when you invite them. And there's food, you know. Yeah, food. <laughs> and it was amazing to me. There were kids that had never met each other, and they met each other and played together. Sweet. All right, thank you. That's it for today. All right, that's awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. And I just want to tell you, if you're out there and you either don't have the time or inclination to do this, listen, it takes a step, right? And we're not here to compare with each other how well we're doing on our maps. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose is that Jesus has called us to love our neighbors. So what does it mean to just take a step? And for some people, it's going to be different. Some people are wired differently. So take the pressure off yourself as far as having to feel like you need to do it a certain way and just be asking the Lord, what's the next step I can take? How can I learn someone's name? How can I how can I move towards my neighbor? So I'm going to pray for us in this area because I think that's, that's where it all starts. So God, we're so grateful just to, to hear uh, the ways in which you're moving. And we know this was near and dear to your heart because you said it again. You said the, you know, the, the greatest commandment, to love you and then to love our neighbor. And it, it was on your mind. It was constant. And uh, we want it to be on our minds too. And so... We just ask, God, that you'd open our eyes uh, as we pull into our garages or our driveways and we get out and we see that there is a neighborhood around us of people that we can love, um, some that know you and some that don't, um, but you've called us to love them regardless, so um, we pray that you'd go before us. God, we want to change our neighborhoods. We want to change our communities, um, so we pray uh, we pray to you for that because you are the God of power. Um, you are the God who can change hearts. Uh, you are the God who can create these these bonds that we have, can have with our neighbors as far as loving them. And this is a journey, God. We're committed to it, and we just um, we surrender it to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would be active and present in our lives, um, leading us to take what the next step might be. And also pray today, God, as we start a new series in the book of James, that you'd fill Tom today with your spirit, give him your words um, to say to us today, and grow us deeper into what it looks like to become 
more mature in our faith uh, and our, our loving and following you. And we do love you. And we do follow you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, yeah, good morning. So glad you're with us. If it's your first time here, welcome, and we'll get to the babies in a little bit. Um, so with excited for that uh, baby dedication at the end of our service today. But, but we're glad that you're here with us, and uh, I wanted to just start with, um, with this question, uh, and, and um, you know, what's, what's the, Brett said this, I didn't tee that up at all, but what's the worst that can happen? Okay? We ask that kind of question. We ask those kinds of things. We worry about the worst that can happen from time to time. And actually, there was a, an online user group uh, posed this question that, to try and get like, some honest feedback. And being the, the internet being what it is, what could possibly go wrong, right? Um, but no one really took it seriously. But, but apparently, um, one user thought that the worst that could happen was that the cookie's too big for the glass. That's potentially the worst that could happen. Um, another thought that the worst that could happen is when the tip, one tip comes off the earbud. You know, it's like, it's like half a set of earbuds. Um, this one hit home with me because I sense, it's hard to see, right? But like when the packing tape rips, it, you know, you lose about, about half the roll trying to get it back. I know that picture's not great. But this one, the ne- this next one is, this is nightmare fuel for me, right? When you're in the public bathroom, but the, the latch doesn't actually lock, that scares me a fair amount. Um, I think the, the unsharpening, sharpening, like when you do the pencil, but it doesn't, what a way, like I don't, it's, it's, it's what, like 10 seconds of your life, but for whatever reason, those 10 seconds. But if you ever want to see, um, if you want to see a licensed minister fly into a rage, it's when this happens. I can't stand when the spoon falls or the, whatever it is falls. And, I mean, it's a lost cause. I, I hate it. It drives me nuts. Okay, but seriously, but seriously, right? Like, what keeps, what keeps us awake at night? What concerns us? What, 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 are the, what occupies our, our thoughts? What do we fixate on? What do we work so hard to try and make sure that it doesn't happen in our life? Okay, what do we think is the worst that can happen? Is it, is it, is it the loss of health? Is that, is that the worst? Is it, is it maybe as a parent, a rebellious child, a loss of security somehow, relationship? Today we're going to wrestle with these things. We're going to wrestle with them because this is where uh, the author of the book of James begins his, his letter. He writes this letter, and he's going to begin with, with what, like, what worries us, what concerns us. Okay? What, is, what is it that, that keeps you from, from moving forward? What are the things that in life that test you? And so we're going to be in the book of James around here for the next couple months. Okay? We're going we're gonna to take it step by step, walking through the book of James. And James has... It has a lot to say to us. It's a shortish letter near the end of the New Testament. And we're not 100% sure who the James is. There's a couple candidates. Um, the, the one, one, one of the apostles, James, uh, the brother of John, who's throughout, throughout the, uh, the Gospels, it talks about is, is a possibility. But his death is recorded in Acts chapter 12. So if he wrote this, it was written very, very early. Another possibility that's kind of traditionally been held is that this is actually James, the brother of Jesus, who is identified as a follower of, of, of his brother, Jesus, as Lord um, in his life. We're not really sure who wrote it, um, but, 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 but it, it, it's, it's written for us. It was written early um, in, in the, the history of the church. And, um, and the truth be told, the book of James was not always accepted, like early on, um, or by Christians throughout faith. In fact, Martin Luther um, actually said he, used, he called uh, James the epistle of straw. 
Okay, the epistle of straw, meaning that like, like it has substance, but it's, it's, it's weak. Now, he, he didn't go so far as to say there's a sort of stories that he wanted it out of the Bible, which was, was a bold statement, even for Martin Luther, right? Um, but but um, he didn't go so far as to say that, but he did actually create sort of like strata of the books of the Bible, and he put James in a lower strata. Now, who am I to disagree with Martin Luther? Um, but, but I think the history of the church and the message of James is actually very pertinent for us, that it is equally inspired by God. Now, it's unique, and it says some different things, and it, it approaches the Christian life from a different angle from maybe some, some other things. But, but the book of James is going to give us a very practical look at many areas of life, many areas of life. And, and the, the first part is no exception. And so if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to it, we're just jumping right in in James ch- chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Okay, a very formal opening. Okay, this is a very formal opening. But there's several things here that, that we need to make sure we have straight. James identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that's, that is a challenge in James, and one of the reasons that people like Martin Luther over the years have, have wrestled with whether or not it belongs, is that this is only one of two places in the book of James where the name of Jesus is actually used. Okay? James, chapter 2, verse 1, again, in kind of like another heading, James says this, but, but it's, the only, it's the only places where the name of Jesus is used. And so there's been this idea that it's, you know, that maybe this wasn't even written like to Christians, but James identifies himself there as a servant of God, not just God like, like Jehovah Yahweh, but God the Father, but the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So, so he's, he says, like, he's identifying himself as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, but then he addresses it to what is, has to be considered an interesting group, Okay? He addresses it to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, that is, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but, but the simplest way to, to understand this is that throughout the history, the 12 tribes is clearly a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? The 12 tribes, so this, it, this is going to be, as we look at this, is going to have a very Jewish context to it, a very Jewish context to it, because the author tells us who he's writing to, these 12 tribes. But he's writing to these 12 tribes a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. So we follow Jesus Christ, so it's Jews following Jesus Christ, okay? Which were the earliest converts to Christianity, okay? The earliest converts to Christianity. But then it says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, in the dispersion, that word dispersion, uh, in the scattering, like those who are scattered, which gives us a little bit of context here because it's map time. No, I did not say nap time. So sit up, sit up straighter. Okay, it's map time, and you can see. Look, I have my special tool, right? Right here is this uh, roughly the city of Jerusalem, just uh, to the to the north. What would that be? Northwest of the Dead Sea. Okay, is the city of Jerusalem. The earliest Christians. We read the Book of Acts. The earliest Christians were gathered there together in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, the initial followers of Jesus. Then you have the Day of Pentecost, and and this this gathering of Christians in this area, uh, this gathering of followers of Christ in this area around Jerusalem. But then we we as we read through the Book of Acts. Like there's persecution and they're, they're, being, they're being threatened and they're being jailed. And it tells us in Acts chapter 8, it actually uses the same word. And it says that, that, these, these, um, that the followers were scattered throughout the world. They were scattered out. They were dispersed. Okay? And so James is writing his letter to like probably shortly after this scattering, this, this dispersion of, of the original followers of Jesus who were, who were Jewish people who had then 
converted, who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah of, of their scriptures and the fulfillment of God's promises. But under persecution, they had spread out all over the, the, that, that Mediterranean world. Okay? And so that's who he writes it to. And the, the Jerusalem church stays kind of a prominent, important church in the book of Acts. There's, there's travel back and forth from Jerusalem and out from Jerusalem. But the believers began to be scattered abroad. And they took the good news of Jesus with them, and they planted churches in all these other places that they went. So James writes this letter to them. Okay? He writes this letter to them. And it's, I, I think that fact, that fact is not just a tidbit about this. I think it's going to come home with the, to, to, make, to have some meaning for us here as we look at what he says from there. Okay? So he says, to all of you, the, the followers of, of Jesus from the 12 tribes, these Jewish Christians that are scattered abroad, look at, look at what he says next. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So as we jump in, we see, he says right away, he says, count it, count it as joy. Count it, make it, like, put this down in the win column when you meet trials, when you meet a test. Now, the word trial there, we're going to have to play with the language a little bit and make sure that we understand what we're talking about. When, he, when, when James uses the word trial here of various kinds, it, it, has, a, it has a terminology that, that's related to, um, the first is a trial, like almost like, like a test. Don't think, uh, we don't want to think trial like a legal trial. It's more like an experiment, like we're testing the, the resolve of something. So think maybe like, like, like a vehicle crash test, okay, is a trial for the car. It's put up against some difficulty to see if it will withstand in a necessary way, an experiment to try and determine, right? It, it is, it's like a test. And he says, look, you're, you're, you meet these tests of various kind, but then he says you know that the testing, actually trial and testing, same root word, testing of your faith, this, this, these trials, this testing, it produces steadfastness. We don't, we don't say steadfastness often enough, right? But it's, it's this ability to stand in place, to stay firm. So the trial comes along, he says, for a purpose. It comes along so you, we can stand firm. And then when we've stood firm, let's, verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. Wow, that sounds pretty good right out of the chute here, James. Like, stand up to the trial so you can be perfect, complete. He's, he's saying, like, steadfastness eventually leads to maturity. Eventually leads to maturity. So we want to say, like, when we look at this, I'm just going to, as we go through this, try to make some, some, some observational uh, takeaways from, like, what is he saying about, about what these, tra the, sorry, these tests and trials? And when our faith is on trial, when our faith is tested, okay, I'm going to say it in negatives today. We don't do this a lot, but I'm going to give you things to avoid rather than things to do. So he says right off the bat, he says, don't avoid the trial. Like, the trial is there for a reason. It's there to build your faith. The trial comes into life, the test comes into life, so that you can be strong, steadfast, and from there, become mature. Your faith becomes mature. So the first thing we see is that, like, our initial reaction is going to be, at least it is for me, is going to be, like, as soon as the test or the trial comes, I try to find a way to avoid it, to push it aside, to get out of its path. But he says, hang in there. In fact, he goes beyond hang in there. He says, count it as joy. Like, mark it down as a win when the trial comes because the trial is doing something. 
we got to keep moving. Verse 5. So he says this. He immediately goes into this, but think about this in the context of the trial. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Okay? So James writes into this, and, and when in the midst of the trial, he says, look, if you're, if you're in the trial, ask God for wisdom. Ask him. Because what do we tend to do, right? I go, I talk to my spouse. God bless her. She's wonderful, and she gives great advice when I have a trial. And then I fan out a little bit, and I start to ask others. And I'm not trying to devalue community, okay? But I fan out, and I start to ask others. Maybe I'll, I'll look for a book on the subject, you know? Like, I don't know, how to, how to raising kids for dummies, whatever, right? So you, you get the book, and you read what the book says. And what James is saying is, look, when the test or the trial comes, when the test or the trial comes, if you don't have what you need in that, ask God. That's, that's the first move. If, you, if you're lacking anything, ask God. But then there's a, there's a but in this. Believe he's going to give it to you. That's faith. Believe he's going to give it to you. Okay? Because he, he says here, the person who doesn't believe, the person who lacks faith, is, is going to assume that God's going to give them. But really, they're double-minded. Like, they're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Oh, yeah, God gets... the. Uh, like, I'm going to talk about God over here, but on this side, on the side of action and what I'm going to do, I'm not actually going to go to God. I'm going I'm I'm to try and do any other way I can or find some other route to avoid actually talking to God about it. And that's, he's, it's double-minded. It's double-minded. And so when things don't go our way, when our faith is tested and things don't go our way, we have a tendency, at least I have a tendency, I have this tendency to sort of like figuratively shake my fist at God. Why, why haven't you given me what I need? Meanwhile, I've spent my time, like, I don't know, maybe the answer is found on Netflix, right? Like, like that's what I do. Maybe, maybe the answer can be found, like, like in a, in a, on Twitter. I, I don't know. Like, those are the places I tend to go when the trial hits as opposed to really going to God. And so I think the second thing to not do, okay? Again, and there's a reminder in this on purpose. Like, like, don't blame God for the, for the trial. Like, don't he, go to him. Don't run from him because he's using the trials to build our faith. Like, it's part of his plan. It's part of his intention. Now, he's going to shift gears here as he goes into verse 9. It looks like a, I think it looks like a major shift, but, it, but it's, it, it, there's really something subtle about it that, that, that I think attaches it to everything he's talking about with trials. Verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation. Let those who are low, catch this, those who are low boast in, in his, their exaltation, like they're, they're being lifted up. And the rich in his humiliation. So let the, the lowly boast in exaltation, the rich boast in hu- humiliation. He says, because like, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Okay? The, the, the wealthy will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits, right? So it almost seems like an aside, but I don't think we want to remove it from the context. It seems like an aside, but I don't want to remove it from the context because he, he's, he makes this comment on, on the lowly and the wealthy, and he says, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The, 
the, the, we tend to point out and look to, and nothing's changed in 2,000 years, we point out and we look to the wealthy and go, how can I, how can I get that? How can I have what they have? Because they seem to have all the comfort in life. They seem to have the security that I want. They seem to sleep well because they know that if the worst thing happens tomorrow, they're probably fine, right? We view it that way, at least I do in my current economic condition. So I look and I go, that's the thing. That's what I want. That's going to rescue me. That's going to save me, okay? But James writes, and James says, look, the, the whole wealth thing is just sort of a mirage. Like, it, it, it vanishes. It goes away. It withers, and the sun comes out and dries it up, right? And he's making this point, right? He's making this point, and this is where I think that introductory stuff does matter to us. Because think about who he's writing to. People who had lived in and around Jerusalem, they were probably comfortable there. They had a comfortable life in Jerusalem, and Jesus, they're introduced to Jesus, and that introduction to Jesus and their belief in him is a huge disruption, okay? It's such a disruption that their faith in him causes persecution in their life, and it causes persecution in their life in such a way that they're now scattered. They had to leave their homes and go out to other places and start life all over again. What's the worst that can happen, right? For many of us, it would be the idea of my, my livelihood being taken away, my personal safety and security being taken away, the thing I'm leaning on to meet tomorrow's needs being taken away, and having to go out from there into a new place and start over again. Now, that's not true for all of us. I know some of us in the room have undertaken that journey willingly, but we almost, we do it, we, in those cases, we've done it because we believe there's something better over there. What happened with these people was, was that their better was taken away from them. These dispersed Jewish followers of Jesus. Jerusalem was home, it was comfortable, it was secure. And now it's gone. And they're in a new place starting over. And I think he says to them, I think one of the things he says is this. He says, look, don't, get, like, like you, you were, you had a way of life, and now that way of life is being tested to its core. The trial has come along, and the trial is that your whole life is disrupted. Everything that, you, that, that was familiar to you and comfortable to you is now gone. And there's a, there's a trial going on. You're being tested. And I think that what James is saying to us here about the testing of our faith, the trials of our faith, is to not equate fill in the blank, with God's blessing, right? For us, don't, and for the audience he's writing to, and I think for many of us, don't equate a certain number in your bank account with God's blessing, right? That's, those two things aren't necessarily one and the same. Make sure that we don't, like, get our values so messed up that we believe that that's, that God is happier with us when we're in that condition or in that state. Because he says that it's the testing and the trial that refines our faith, that, that leads to steadfastness and maturity. So don't, what, yours may not be, like the, you may be free of the burden of, of sort of financial concern in some ways that, 
you're, you have a very open hand with what God's given you, but, but perhaps it is your health. And you would say, like, well, clearly God's blessing us because we're healthy. Or maybe it is the, the, the tightness of your family and the way that your family operates. Well, it's okay. Everything's okay because my family is intact. And I think what James is saying is be very careful with the value system you use with God. Because his value set is not going to be the same as yours. It's not going to be the same as the worlds around you. And so when, he, when, when, we, when we approach this and he says, look, the lowly, those who struggle are exalted, and the rich, the wealthy, that they're, like, it's going to fade. It's going to wither. Their humiliation is there. He says, don't measure, don't measure your values. Don't measure God's blessing by, by the, with the, the tools that the, the rest of the world uses. And he picks back up here in verse 12. From there. So it feels like an aside to talk about almost like, hey, don't worry about money. But I think that idea is at the center of what he's warning them about. And he says, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's our word again. He comes back to the idea, right? So he starts with trials and steadfastness. He talks about the, 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 the riches and the, 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 the rich and the poor. And he comes back to this in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of the trial, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then he says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay? He draws this distinction, right? He says he's now moved from trials to temptation. Trials to temptation. Okay? And it's actually a play on words in the original because they're, they're associated terms. They're associated terms. But he's drawing a distinction between a trial and a temptation. So he says, let, just because you're being tested, don't confuse that with temptation. Just because you're being tested, don't confuse being tested with temptation. So let's take just a look at these things and what we've seen here and some other places. Because trials and temptations are... They're, they're similar, but they're not quite the same. They're easily confused, but it's important that we keep them separate and understand them rightly, right? And so, as we already mentioned, the, the, the words that get used here, the word for trial is like a word for test. It's a way of saying, like, like the outcome in a trial, the outcome is 50-50, okay? A, a test is going to be performed, an experiment is going to be undertaken, and we don't know which way it's going to go, okay? Could go this way, could go that way. Could be good, could be bad, okay? It's a, it's a test, it's a trial, but with temptation, okay, temptation, the word changes a little bit to imply pressure, okay? Pressure is applied. Influence is applied. Temptation becomes like, like an allurement, an enticement, a, a push in a particular direction. So it's no longer 50-50, which way is it going to go? It's we want to stack the, the, deck, the deck in favor of, we want to st stack the deck. Dacking is stacking the deck, if you didn't know. We want to stack the deck in favor of the outcome that we're after. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to tempt and entice in this direction, apply pressure to see that it goes a particular way. Okay? Really similar word in the, in the original language, but, but, they, but it's nuanced in how it's used. This comes up again in another famous passage that we use on these terms. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, and I know we, we lean on this all the time, but it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay? Now catch this. The, the, the words temptation, not just parts of speech, the actual original language is a little bit different. The words temptation there are the same word as trial in James chapter 1. And the word tempted is the same word as tempt in, in James chapter 1. So as, as, transla- as translators came to this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, they stuck with temptation in both places, context there. But the thrust of this, if, you, if, we, if we rightly in some ways insinuate trial instead of temptation for the, like, the, the, the temptation words, it reads this way. No trial has overtaken you that isn't common to man. Okay? Like, no, like we all face trials. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Like the pressure that gets a- applied to you in the midst of a trial is not so much that you can't stand up to it. Okay? But with the trial, he also provides a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You catch that just slight distinction? You catch it? So we're seeing these things. Now let's come back to this, just this comparison, okay? Here's what James tells us. That trials can be from God. Like God uses trials, he uses tests in our life to help us mature, to help us grow. They are tests of our faith to determine the, the, the commitment that we have to him as Lord of all things. But temptation is not from God. God doesn't tempt. Okay? He's not, he's not, the, the trial may be put in place that, that becomes like a, a breeding ground for a temptation, but the temptation is not from God. And also, we, we get this idea that, that, temptation, or that, that trials are almost unpredictable. We don't see them coming. There's, there's kind of like, there's no specific preparation for them. There's general preparation for steadfastness, but there isn't specific. But temptation is expected. You sh- we should know when it's coming. We should be able to see it coming. We, should, we, we, we need to learn the places where temptation resides so that we can see it coming. A, 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 loss of, a sudden loss of something, a sudden loss of a job, a sudden, a sudden loss of a relationship, sudden loss of health, we don't see that coming. But temptation in the midst of those things, he's saying you ought to be ready for it. You ought to be aware. And he goes on here and to, to, to sort of get to, to the latter part of this passage. Verse 14. He says, like, temptation is not from God, but each person is tempted when he's lured and intent, enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see the language in this? Okay. See, in the midst of tough times, in the midst of difficulty, temptation is a really, like, difficult problem. He, he argues that, like, that, that when things get tough, it's really easy then, when, when things are 50-50 in the test, it's really easy for us to give in to the pressure that may be applied to do something or to, to go somewhere illegitimate with our concerns, with our worry, with our anxieties. When we, when we begin down that path, it's easy for us to be enticed because we have our own desires. We desire for this trial, this test to not take place. I desire for the pressure to come off of me. I desire to have security, to put my head on the pillow and know that, that tomorrow is not going to bring about some unforeseen catastrophe. I desire that. That's what I want it. And he says temptation feeds on those desires. We're enticed by them. And then there's the language of reproduction, right? Because that desire 
when it, when it's conceived, when, when it, when it like first is initiated, it gives birth to sin or going our own way, ignoring God's way. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. So the last sort of comparison between the, the, the trial and the temptation is what they produce. You see, the trial exists in my life to bring about life. It, brings, it makes me more alive, mature in Christ. But the temptation is there to produce death. Did you see that last line? When desire is it con- it conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth, brings forth death. Sin, temptation, giving into the temptation, brings about death. So the fourth thought on trials is, like, don't give up or give in to the easy way out of the trial. I know this is, it's difficult and it's tempting, and we're going to be enticed and lured to take shortcuts out of our trials. God's, God, in, in this passage, he's saying to them, I know that, that you had a comfortable way of life. I know that you did. I know that you were comfortable at home. You had steady income. You, you, you knew where your next meal was coming from. You knew you were going to have a roof over your head. Like, you knew those things, and now you don't. There's a trial. But you could put anything in that place, right? I know that, I know that six months ago, everybody was healthy in your home. And then you got that diagnosis, and now you're not. I know that you were stable in your relationships, but now you're not. I know that your job felt really secure and meaningful, and now it doesn't, right? You're, it, we're in the trial. We're being tested. But, but in the midst of it, we have options. We have choices, and it's easy for us to go directions that, that are just sinful in our life. We can choose distraction from it, right? That's an option. That's, a, that's sort of a, a way out of it. And my goodness, the list of distractions that we have access to in our world and our lives is endless. It's Sunday morning. What did your screen time report say for the week? Right? And what does that say about how we're occupying our minds, and why are we doing it that way? Are we avoiding something? The streaming services are endless. Check your credit card statement. Just on and on it goes. Distraction is an option. It's a time, a time of testing is, a, is an incredible time of testing if, if we're prone towards, towards chemical indulgence, right? Like escaping, I just want to feel better so I'm going to overindulge sexual indulgence. I've lost control of my life, but here I feel empowered. I feel like I have a way out here. I feel better. And so we might try to, to short-circuit it and get out of it through any of these means. But what James is saying is that, that, that if we choose that, it gives birth to death. That's what it leads to. And he's warning us. And he's warning us. And the last bit, the very last thing he says in this section, he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you get this? 
Even the good that we don't recognize as good at the time is coming from God. All the stuff in our life, all that's good comes from God. And in this first chapter, that includes the test. It includes the trial. And so the last comment is this. Don't be deceived and believe lies. God is on your side in this. Whatever your, your trial is, whatever the thing is that's going on, God is in it with you. He hasn't abandoned you. You're not on your own to try and get out of it. Right? He's with us. Don't be deceived. All the good things come from him. Some of the good things are difficult to face. They're a challenge. They're a test or a trial. And in the midst of all that, it can be really tempting. It can be really tempting to look for the, for the easy way out or to look for the, the distraction to just sort of numb our, our pain or, or the, the anxiety that we feel. He's saying all of that is possible, but know that he is there with you in the midst of it. He hasn't abandoned us to be on our own. Those thoughts are all lies. Call them what they are. Don't be deceived. God is with us. God's on our side. And so just to close, I'll come back to this. What's the worst that can happen? I think what James is, is presenting something. He's saying, what's the, when we ask, what's the worst that can happen? Is the loss of a job the worst that can happen? Is a health crisis the worst that can happen? But James might ask, does losing your faith keep you up at night? Does spiritual death keep you awake at night? Because we go through a long list of things, we confuse the test for the temptation, and we think that the real negative in this is the test. But he's warning us and saying the real problem is the temptation. The real problem is that in the midst of the test, in the midst of the test, we won't st be steadfast, that we'll, we'll waver. And we'll start to try and find ways out of it on our own. And so he, James warns us that, that all those other matters actually have the power to grow us. The things that we, that we list off that are so bad and so negative, James says those things have the power to grow you, but the thing you should be afraid of is the subtleties in the midst of the, the trial, in the, in the midst of the, the difficult time. Sin and its enticement, it has the real power to take our life, not the other things. And so today, just as, as we close up and ask, like, can we recalibrate our, our greatest fears? Can we, can we properly put in the things in our life can we properly categorize them in such a way that we understand the difference between the, the, the trial of life versus the temptation to get out of that trial to be impatient and pursue my own way out like, can we endure through it seek God in it ask for his wisdom to know where to go and that's where James begins his letter to us. And so that's where we begin as a community together looking at this letter. Would you pray with me? God, we, we, thank, you that, um, we thank you that your word is amongst us and that, um, that you point us back to yourself. And we thank you, Jesus, for, for making a way out, for, for giving us um, not just... Um, 
not just the escape from sin, but, but freedom from it. And so we ask now that you would help us. Would you show us the, the spaces in our life where, um, where we're converting, God, your, your, the tool of, of trial or the tool of the, the testing that you've put in our life, we're converting it into angst with you, or we're converting it into to bitterness towards you, where we're, we're leaning on our own strength or our own ways of trying to get out of it, God, would you, um, would you show that to us? Would you help us to trust more? Would you, would you show us what it means to walk with you in the midst of the test? We praise you and we thank you for, um, for all the good gifts that you give, even the ones that, that come with some measure of pain. And we pray all of this because of who you are and what you've done for us, Jesus. We thank you. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. If we haven't met, my name is JR, and I'm the next-gen pastor here at LCC. And this morning, I get the joy of leading some families through something we call baby or child dedication. And just a forewarning, in a second, there's going to be, like, next-level cuteness on the screens. It's going to be really hard to focus on anything, but we can do this, all right? We can do this together. Um, baby dedication, at its simplest, is a moment in time when these parents are making a declaration in front of you, a declaration to having to do with how they're going to raise their children. And it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that if I had to guess, they've quietly already made in their hearts well before they stood up here today. So maybe it begs the question, then why do we do something like this? And I think we do this because it marks a moment in time, a moment in time that can be looked back upon and we say, oh yeah, I remember when we made that decision. I remember JR put on a button-up shirt for this instead of the standard hoodie that he wears, all right, because this is important, and this is a day that that happened. So before we go any farther, I'm going to have uh, these guys introduce themselves and their families. So we'll start down here at the end and just pass it down. Uh, Emily Annabel Perez, and this is Camille Perez. I'm Cam. This is my wife, Kristen, and our son, Wyatt. Hi, I'm Zach. This is my wife, Lisa, and our son, Jackson. All right. So one of the things that we think is a big deal is this tension, uh, bringing to mind this tension between what are all the immediate things in parenting, which there are a lot, and then what are the intentional aspects of parenting? And realize we're going to have to live in a tension between those two. Um, but knowing that, like, left unchecked, the immediates win every single time. But these guys are saying, hey, wait a second, we don't want that to be true. We want it to be, a, like, we realize we're going to have to do the immediate thing still, but we want to live within this, like, realization that we need to lean into the intentional. So we asked them to do some things before they showed up here today to stand in front of you. We asked them to do some homework, listen to some talks, have some conversations together as couples. We asked them to think about three things. One is the uh, parenting with the end in mind. So think way out when these guys are a lot taller than this, all right? And what do they want to be true? And while we don't guarantee outcomes, okay, there are no guarantees in parenting, we do think that, like, when we think with the end in mind, what do we want the long-term to be for our kids as they grow up? It does help us along the way for the path to be a little less foggy and maybe keeps us from walking in circles quite so often. Um, we ask them to think about widening the circle, considering that while their voice to their child is important, they also need other voices as their kid grows to speak into their child's life and to intentionally invite those in, say, hey, we need you for this. 
And then last, last to consider what are the important relationships that these guys have. So obviously we're talking about baby dedication, like the child-parent relationship is important, but we're saying to these guys, hey, there's a couple that are more important. One is you guys' relationship with each other, and also even more important than all of them, your relationship with your heavenly father, because when those two are in their proper order, the relationship with the child actually benefits. So all that, not for its own, but for one thing, and that is what matters most in the lives of these kids. And that's that they would know the love of their heavenly father, that they would be given every opportunity so far as it lies with these parents to point these kids towards him. So I gave them a question to think about, which they're going to just answer in front of you guys right now. This is that moment in time. This is that, that thing we can look back to and actively remember when, did we, when we made that decision. So I gave them this ahead of time, so it's not like they're hearing this for the first time. They've had a chance to think about this, but I'm just going to read this for you guys, and then I'll just invite you to say out loud, all together, we are, if you agree, okay? So parents, let me ask you, are you ready to fight for this relationship to be your child's first example of unconditional love and to point them towards the love and the relationship of their heavenly father, giving them every opportunity so far as it lies with you to do life with Jesus? And if so, just say we are. Yeah, that's good. Good. Today, when we talk about widening the circle, some of you here in the room and maybe joining us online, some of you are that circle for these guys. And I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you say a thing. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. If you know that you are those people, well, let me back up. If you don't know if you are those people, that's on these guys. And they need to, like, invite you into that, okay? So be ready for that. But if you already know that you are, would you today just say to these guys, and here's the timeline, before dinner tonight, okay? Sometime before dinner tonight, just text them, call them, say it in person today. Just remind them, hey, we're with you. We're with you. And you say, JR, they know that. Of course they know that. And I'd say, yeah, but this is hard, and it's easy to forget that you've got somebody with you. So just say it out loud to them. I think that's important. And, and the other thing here is for all of us, because these guys don't have to do this parenting journey that they're committing to. They don't have to do this alone. They have their circle. They've got programming things that we do around here. But at the end of the day, you all are their church family, okay? You all have a role in this. And today, a, a step one of that role could be like, hi, my name is, and just get to know their names to start with. Because we have a responsibility to come alongside these families and these kids as a church family, as a church body, as they grow. So I'm gonna ask you guys something today, okay? So same thing we ask every time we stand up here and do this, but I think it's just a good reminder for us, all right? So church body, let me ask you this question. Will you commit to supporting these parents to being the body of Christ in action, being ready to help as they seek to lead and follow God and to point their child to Jesus over and over again? And if you're in for doing that with them, would you, if you're able, just stand up with me this morning? If that's something you're willing to do alongside these guys, would you just stand up? And would you guys just take that in because when it's hard, and when you think these lies creep in that I'm alone, I'm alone in this, just, I want you to picture this for a second. Here's some people who are saying, you don't have to be alone in this, okay? All right, uh, you guys stay standing, and I'm going to pray for these guys. Father, thank you 
for being a good father, for being our example of what unconditional love looks like. And Father, this morning we pray for Abel and Emily, for Zach and Lisa, for Camden and Kristen, as they, as they follow you and they seek after you, would you let their relationship with you just naturally pour out into pointing their children towards you? And Father, this morning we pray for Camille and Jackson and Wyatt. Father, we want nothing else or nothing more than for them to know you, to discover who you are and what you're like and how much you love them. So would you help us as the body of Christ here at LCC to come alongside these kids and point them towards you? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. And Jackson says, that's all, folks. <laughs> all right. You guys can have a seat. Uh, and I'll, yeah, give him a hand. Give him a hand. In just a second, I'm going to pray for lunch, but I have some instructions for how lunch works. Now, this is, just go with me, this is going to be different, but they've got this set up in a way that's going to be great and super efficient, and, and so there's some instructions involved. To get lunch today, which casseroles, hey, yo, all right, you're going to go out this door over here, okay? You're going to go out this door over here and into the youth area, and you'll get your plates and napkins and all that fun stuff, and grab a seat. Grab a seat with somebody maybe you don't know. You can have somebody you do know and somebody you don't know. Like, that's a good combination. But, again, we're all going to go out this door over here today, unless, <laughs> unless you have kids in kids' life, in which case you're going to go out either of those doors and go pick them up and then go around to the back side of the youth, uh, the youth area by the offices over here. Okay? Deal? <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to pray for lunch. Father, again, just another moment, another simple realization of how you provide. As you provide lunch today, um, would you bless that to our bodies? And would you bless the conversations we have at the tables um, as, we, as we eat? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys.